0: Well, good morning, everyone. Again, thanks for being here. I also want to welcome you who are watching from home. Glad you're able to do this. Hope you're feeling good if you've not been well. And hope God gives you grace to uh, participate with us through this way. Uh, Well, also to everyone. Happy Reformation Day. Today, October 31st, is probably better celebrated as that than other things. Um, it is in 1517 Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the castle church in Wittenberg and launched unknowingly he was launching the Reformation which we have benefited from. So please open your Bibles if you will to Matthew chapter 7 uh, when, when uh, Jace got the Ethiopian call similar to the Macedonian call but different. Uh, he, we started thinking about how he could take time to prepare 25 hours of lessons, and so I was assigned to, to speak a couple of times, which I'm grateful and happy to do, and appreciate that, Jace. Uh, Matthew chapter seven. Uh, so, so Sinclair uh, Ferguson helps kind of sort out the, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount we've been going through now for some time, some months. And, and there's a general progression through the Sermon of the Mount that's maybe helpful to think about. Uh, he says the chapter divisions that are Bible, of the Bible that are not of course in the original manuscript, but they do tend to mark what elements Jesus is developing. So generally speaking, we can say that chapter 5 emphasizes the coming of the Kingdom of God and its implications, especially in relation to the law of God, so chapter five you may remember uh, talks about what the kingdom man and woman are like, how they live, the beatitudes. Jesus explains the law and how it impacts us. So we see kingdom life there. We see the coming of the kingdom of God, what it, what it, how it affects our lives. Chapter six emphasizes the fatherhood of God and the freedom that knowledge of it gives us. So, so when. When we understand God as our Father, He's always present. Then, then we we pray for Him in secret. We serve in secret. We fast in secret. We do it for Him because He's present. We're aware of that. We don't have to fear uh, not having food or clothing because God our Father cares for us. We put our treasures in heaven because the Father's with us. So that's chapter six. Chapter seven, however, emphasizes the judgment of God and the impact this makes in the way we live. So chapter 7, we're embarking on now, and I'll read the first six verses and try to speak from them. Jesus is is drawing this sermon to a close, and he is calling us to respond and to apply these things. So we'll read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is God's Word. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Well, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul from the spirit, the bone from the marrow. Lord, it, it, def- it reveals our hearts to us. And Father, we know that judgment can be a two-edged sword as well, and it can cut both ways. Father, help us to be changed by your unchanging word. Help us to be adjusted. Help us to be encouraged. Help us to be strengthened. And Lord, you know my limitations. So help these dear children, these dear friends of ours, to hear by your Holy Spirit what you intend for them to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we need to think well about this. For some in the larger culture today, Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged, is the, actually the one verse in the Bible they agree with. They're like, yes, exactly, judge not. Few Christians would just do what Jesus said and stop judging everybody. We could get along. We might even like you a little bit if you would stop judging us. Let's just be happy, live and let live. Everything's okay, right? That's kind of what's out there. Actually, everything is okay, except saying that everything isn't okay. We live in an age of antagonistic cultural pluralism. What I mean by that: it is uh, we live in an age where, if you don't celebrate everyone's personal choices, it is you who are evil. It is you who are excluded. It is you who are, are 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 set aside attacked even. We live in an age where evil is exalted, and we're not allowed to say that, and never mind if our own personal choices are violated in the process. A lot of examples of this. Here is an example from Dr. Carl Truman's excellent book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, before you put it up there, let me just give a little thought. He is uh, in this book, he, he brilliantly uh, follows the development of, of prevalent thought over a number of c- centuries that have brought us to the day that we live in currently. So let's look at this quote together. "Today, the wedding, ref- for example, does not push the gay couple into starvation or any other form of economic hardship. Rather, it offends against their dignity and inflicts psychological harm by refusing to recognize them on their own terms. And that is regarded as very serious because it is politically oppressive in a world of which psychological categories have come to dominate the discussion. So, as I said in his book, Dr. Truman traces through history the, in, the, the, the inward turn away from objective truth and away from the virtue of living for the good of others toward the exaltation of the individual and the so-called right for the individual to define his own psychological reality independent from his or her physical reality. There is a truer psychological self that must be preeminent. So uh, Dr. Truman goes on to say this, that inward turn at the enlightenment may not literally have killed God, but it did make him in practice an increasingly unnecessary hypothesis. This inward turn, the turn to the individual, gave the individual a value, a dignity, that eventually came to stand as independent of any sacred order or set of divine commands. So today, the one virtue remaining in culture is the individual sense of personal dignity. The culture would say that is the highest value of all. So all other morals and virtues must bow before the mighty God of self. If I self-identify as a homosexual, don't judge me. If I embrace gender fluidity and come to the conclusion that I am a woman trapped in a man's body, don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge, right? So don't judge me. Celebrate my growth as an individual. That's not what Jesus meant by don't judge me. That's not what Jesus meant by judge not that you be not judged. We can tell by the context of chapter 7 that Jesus, in fact, does call us to judge and use discernment. In verse 6, he called us to judge who is a pig and who the pigs and dogs are. Verse 13, he calls us to judge, which is the narrow way. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus calls us to judge who are the false prophets as well as many other places in the Bible. We're called to use our discernment to discern and tell the difference between good and evil. So we we must judge and we must speak. However, if we have any hope of actually glorifying God by that speech and of being heard, We must radically embrace what Jesus does mean by judge not, that you be not judged. Jesus' goal is to redeem us from self righteousness so we can be Christ like witnesses to the world and effective ministers to our brothers and sisters. So, three points today self righteous judgment hypocritical judgment and transforming judgment. Number one, self-righteous judgment. Let's look at verses one and two again. That They really set off this passage. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in the notes of the Transline Bible, Michael McGill comments this, here, in this context, judging is used in the sense of passing judgment on, criticizing, finding fault with. And we'll see that this word judging is used differently in other places. It is the act of putting others down to lift up ourselves. In relationships, it is that very valuable but hard-won, battle-scarred, High moral ground, right? We all know how it goes. Uh, I say, all right, all right. I shouldn't have used that tone, but but you should not have started vacuuming while I was watching the game. That was insensitive. So yeah, I, I wasn't great in my tone, but what you did was worse. So I'm up here in this high moral ground, and I can judge you, right? So, so, or, okay, I'm sorry I snapped, but after all I've done all day, watching the kids, washing your clothes, fixing your food, how could you be so insensitive to my needs? You were so selfish. Right? Okay, yeah, all right, I, I snapped. But compared to what you did by not being sensitive to my needs, I'm not so bad. Um, Spoke Bunny says, of course you know. This means war. There are a million different battlegrounds in this war, and we all lie bleeding on them from time to time. When we are judging self-righteously, we tend to obscure our sins by enlarging the sins of others. It's rather like uh, when you're planning a vacation at the beach or by a pool, rather than losing weight, you just go find someone who's bigger than you are to sit by. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Compared to them, I'm not so bad. But there is such a thing as righteous judgment. And others do sin against us, and we need to say something to them. So, so how do we do it? How do we, how do we tell, am I being self-righteous? How do I tell if self-righteousness is, is governing me? Well, let me give you some categories. I'm going to put up some, some ways that some symptoms... We seem to be really into symptoms these days. Let me give you some symptoms of self-righteousness. One would be perhaps making secondary issues or secondary doctrines primary. So so we have these core doctrines that bind us together and we have secondary, tertiary and other area doctrines that are important, perhaps. But if I'm taking in this one thing is important to me and I'm exalting that over everything else, well, I'm being judgmental, right? self-righteously. How about being maliciously pleased when hearing something unpleasant about someone? Something happens to someone, and we're like, yeah, they had it coming. Jesus doesn't want us to be that way, even about our enemies. So if I kind of get that smirk on my face, yeah, he got what was coming. It kind of feels good. I've done that. That's self-righteous. righteous Here's another one, expressing your opinion about people who have no direct dealings with you. So this is not making a comment about something happening politically or something that you don't agree with in the culture or those kinds of things. That's fine. No, this is attacking a person that you don't even know because of something he did or said. And having all these opinions about what he or she should or shouldn't have done. Well, you know, you don't know what's going on in that person's life. That's self-righteous. Expressing your opinion without all the knowledge and fact of the circumstances. That kind of reveals that I already know what I want to think about this. I'm going to put this in this category, and I don't really care what all the facts say. This is what I think about it. That could be self-righteous. Maybe you are rarely ready to excuse others or show mercy. It's like you're quick. Quick to pronounce judgment. Quick to believe the worst. You're quick to give a little Dig when you can. You're sarcastic. You're cynical. So Jesus calls us to be discerning. And there's a gift of discernment. Jesus knew the hearts of all men. And so we're supposed to discern the age we're living in. But there's a big difference between being discerning and being cynical and sarcastic. Oh, the government, they just are doing this. Oh, they're doing, this is what they really mean. And there's this hard, harsh, cynical. Oh, they're just, that's self-righteousness. Doesn't mean it's okay or that what they're doing is right. Doesn't mean that you're not grieved by it. But if you're being cynical and sarcastic, well, that's a tell. You've climbed up that moral hill, tried to find that moral high ground that you can look down on people who probably don't know Jesus. Maybe they do. If it's me, I do. If you're looking at me that way, I do. Another sign. Rehearsing in your mind how to tell a person off. Yeah, you know, here's what I should have said. Or if I were able to tell that person, here's what I'd say to them. And you just have this little loop in your brain. You're more aware of others' weaknesses and sins than evidence of grace in their lives. So you tend to think about your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, those around you. Are you kind of more aware? Yeah. I do wish she wasn't this way. I wish she wasn't that way. I wish she wouldn't do this. I wish she wouldn't do. It. I wish they would do this. Or is there just a sense of gratitude for God's grace in their lives? Kind of by the same token, others are more aware of your criticism of them than your affirmation. They kind of brace themselves because they know you're probably going to bring it to them. I see myself in these things. Here's how James talks about this in verses, chapter four, verses 11 and 12. Same thing Jesus is talking about. He says, do not speak evil against one another brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges, his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's why Jesus really hates self-righteousness probably especially in us. When you are self-righteous, you are putting yourself in the place of God. You're saying, no, I got this. I got it. I got it. I've got this. I'm going to take it, God, and I'm going to judge. David Paulison very helpfully comments on this passage from James. Here's how he says it. Because we judge others, criticize, nitpick, nag, attack, condemn, because we literally play God. This is heinous. The Bible says there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you when you judge? None other than a God wannabe. In this, we become like the devil himself. He's he's the accuser of the brethren. No wonder you struggle in your marriage. No wonder you have so little grace to forgive. No wonder you turn off your unbelieving friends. No wonder you get so mad about the convulsions of the damned in the fallen world. In that, you are not like your father in heaven. He makes the rain, he makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for the world. And when he judges, he, he takes no pleasure in it. But we do. We take pleasure in judging. Feels good. Jesus looks us all in the eye and he calls us what we are hypocrites. Point number two hypocritical judgment. Let's look again at, our, at the Bible. If you have it open, we'll read again. Jesus gives an illustration to verses one and two. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus wants to know why. These aren't rhetorical questions. Why do you do this? He's inviting us to look into our hearts. How can you magnify the small sins of others against you while ignoring, ignoring your enormous sin against me, Jesus is saying. He's calling us to look at our hearts. Why do we do that? Well, the answer in a word is idolatry. Idolatry. We judge because we have gods that we serve instead of Jesus. Ken Sandy in, uh, gives us great insight into how idolatry breaks down relationships in his excellent book The Peacemaker. So understanding our idolatry in our own hearts helps us heal our broken relationships. So I've got several quotes from, some lengthy from uh, Ken's book. I think they're helpful. Hopefully they'll help you. Here's how he defined idolatry. He says this, an idol is any desire that has grown into a consuming demand that rules our hearts. It's something we think we must have to be happy, fulfilled, or secure. To put it another way, it is something we love, fear, or trust. Love, fear, trust. These are words of worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Fear the Lord. Trust the Lord. That's what we owe to God, but yet we, we love other things. We fear, our fears drive us to, uh, to create these idols, and we trust in things that we shouldn't trust in. When we are self-righteous, we are worshiping false gods, and we're ready to offer human sacrifice to them." Here's how Ken Sandy describes that, helpful, helpful quote, I think. Idols always demand sacrifice. When someone fails to satisfy our demands and expectations, our idol demands that he should suffer. Whether deliberately or unconsciously, we will find ways to hurt or punish people so that they will give us and give in to our desires. This punishment can take many forms. Sometimes you react in overt anger, lashing out with hurtful words to inflict pain on those who failed to meet our expectations. When we do so, we are essentially placing others on the altar of our idol and sacrificing them. Not with pagan eyes, but with, sharp, with the sharp edge of our tongue. Only when they give in to our desire and give us what we want will we stop inflicting pain on them. This sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? It's kind of appropriate for Halloween. We've all heard terrible stories of actual torture and sacrifice of humans. Now we find we have our own sacrificial torture chamber. And sometimes we keep our victims there for years. But there is this boomerang effect. We have measured out judgment by our own standard only to see Jesus bringing us under his standard of judgment. It comes back on us. We, in, we intend to inflict pain on others, but Jesus says, no, 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 not so easy. There's, there's a payback. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven, thirty-one 31 and 32, he says, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Our self-righteous judgment brings discipline from Jesus on our lives. So... <laughs> How do we break the cycle? How do we get off of this merry-go-round, right? How do we judge ourselves in the context of relational sin and brokenness? So we're gonna go back to to Ken Sandy again for a helpful counsel. Very practical, he says, when you find yourself in conflict, work backwards to the progression of an idol to identify desires that are controlling your heart ask yourself these questions how am I punishing others how am I judging others what am I demanding to have what is the root desire of that demand so let's leave this slide up here for for a bit so let's actually think about this apply it to our lives that's the difference between uh, deceiving ourselves right we those who hear the word don't practice to deceive themselves the difference between deceiving ourselves and being good Christians is we apply the word. So let's do it. Who are you punishing? are you punishing? you close your eyes and think about it for a minute. Who am I punishing? Who comes to mind? Think about it for a minute. It could be somebody personally in your life. Probably is. It could be other people that don't do what you want them to do, but your heart, you're punishing them. How are you judging others? So someone has a conviction different than I do that they act on? Do I judge them critically, self-righteously for that? Or do I love them through it? Think about it. What are you demanding to have? What is, what is in your life right now that you're not getting that you've got to have, that you want? You're ready to do war to get it. And then what's behind that desire? What's the root behind that? That's where change happens. We start wrestling with these things. Ultimately, all judgment is transformational. Whether we judge self-righteously or righteously, someone is changed by that. Someone's transformed by that. So look at number three, point number three, transforming judgment, transforming judgment. So let's look at verse six again. It says this, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So again, after telling us in not to judge in verse 1 and 2, Jesus now tells us in pretty graphic terms that we better use our judgment. Here we're told judgment means by the smart guys, it means diff- it means something different here, it means here distinguishing determining, or administering justice. So now we're, we're, we're actually, we're not being self-righteous, we're determining, we're, di- we're, we're distinguishing. This is the elusive righteous judgment. Um, here we're not trying to exalt ourselves, rather we're trying to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus. And we do need to be wise when and how we speak truth. Sometimes if we were to speak, it would only give occasion for blasphemy from a person that's totally rejected God. So there are times and places that we need to be wise, be discerning, not judgmental, but judging. Is this the way, is this the time, the way to speak? Can I speak about these things in this moment? You know that someone is in a certain way in the culture and well, it's just not gonna serve them for me to go after them about that right now. We have to discern that. However, righteous judgment spoken at the right time Helps transform those around us into the image of Christ. Righteous judgment gives us winsome answers for a dying world. Through righteous judgment, we are able to obey the exhortation from Jude. Jude, Jude warns quite extensively in the book of Jude in the Bible. He, he, he warns against those lost souls, those clouds without water, those, those defilers who come in amongst us and try to defile us. And he warns against them very strongly. But still, even after warning against them, he, he, he shows them compassion. And he calls us to this kind of righteous judgment. Jude 22 and 23 say this. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hitting even the garment stained by the flesh. So so we encounter the world around us. And we encounter the sins in our brothers and sisters with, with mercy. With a fearful desire. Fearing God that, that they not be punished or disciplined or, or harden their hearts if they're brothers and sisters. They were, we're coming graciously, mercifully to help them out of that sin. And looking at the world around us, realizing it's the cries of the damned. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. doesn't make them you know, somehow not guilty. They are guilty. doesn't make it evil. No, it's evil. But out of the heart of Christ... There's this fearful mercy that, that motivates us different from that hard self-righteousness. that's so easy to creep, creep in. My sister was an assistant to a representative in Florida from years ago. Uh, this person was conservative, mostly. And my sister would handle the calls and the letters that would come in to the uh, to the office. And uh, kind of across the spectrum, people liked or didn't like what she did. And she made this comment, and this has gone dating quite a bit. You, some of you remember this. She said, you know, the thing about it is, the Christians, in the time Christian Coalition was really, she said, they're the meanest. This should not be. But almost we forget that Jesus does want us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. He does want that to happen. He does want us to be able to see that sin, that difficulty, that thing that brothers, he does want us to help with that. When we judge self-righteously, not only do we heap judgment on ourselves, so we're transformed by our self-righteousness. We are transformed into something else, right? We also fail to be a source of grace to others to our brother and so that person is further defiled by his or her sin so here's how, here's how it works with Karen and I when we get into conflict which happens I know it's shocking to you but it does happen we do occasionally get into conflicts so when we're in a conflict and I get offended which happens I have no grace to help her or to lead us out of it I'm offended, I'm angry, I'm judging her, she didn't do what she's supposed to do. But when I can lay down the long knives and love her more than myself, the grace comes to move us toward reconciliation. And how do I lay down the long knives? By looking to Jesus who was pierced through by my long knife. He died in my place. He took my sin. When that happened just no sheer act of my will. This is not behavior modification. It's not learning how to, no, just say nicer words. Don't say those words. Say these words. It's good to know nice words to say, but that doesn't change my heart. No, it's when I look to the cross see Jesus dying there for my sin. Wow. That changes me. It's not my willpower, it's the power of the resurrection in me. His grace enables me. So then we're both transformed more into the image of Christ. When we care for each other lovingly, we go from glory to glory. We grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And so as a community as well, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Him who is the head, that is Christ. And that's how the church is built up. So righteous judgment transforms us into his image. But the Lord never wastes a metaphor. So let's think again about the pigs and the dogs in verse 6. Okay, how many kids we still have around here? Kids, if you're still listening. Adults, if you're still listening. Um, Kids, how many of you know the story of Pinocchio? Raise your hand if you know the story of Pinocchio. So Pinocchio was, uh, yes, good, Pinocchio, thanks. Pinocchio was this little puppet, wooden puppet. Geppetto was his dad, his creator, right, his maker, who somehow was able to speak magically. And he began to become like a little boy. But what did what did Pinocchio do wrong? He lied. He lied. And what happened to him eventually because he was lying? His nose grew longer, and then he got in with some bad people, and what happened to him? He turned into a donkey. He became donkey-like. Right? Okay. How many have read or C.S. Lewis's book, Uh, *A Horse and His Boy*? We have the impetuous Prince Rabadash. Right. Prince Rabadash wanted to go into Narnia and and take a bride from himself, from Princess Queen Susan. And he was denied. And so he was furious and rode across the desert and attacked uh, the the city of Argonland. Yeah. (laughs) So he's captured and he's given a chance to repent and to humble himself. He doesn't. And so Aslan turns him into what? Into a donkey as well. Because his sin. Sin transforms us. When we become self-righteous, when we are self-righteous, we become pig-like. We trample underfoot the precious pearls of grace in others' lives around us. We don't care about them. They don't matter to us. We just trample them under feet. We become viciously dog-like in our snarling, and biting, and arguing, and quipping, and digging, and criticizing. Jesus died to make us Christ-like, a pig-like, not pig-like, that dog-like, Christ-like. And if we ask Him, He'll give us a powerful gift, the gift of repentance. And through that gift, he'll change us more, transform us, give us godly righteousness, transform us into into being more Christ-like. So, if you will, stand with me and let's pray. Let's ask him for that gift. Lord, you're looking us in the eye right now, Lord. Father, I know I, I know speaking for myself, Lord, I know I excuse my self-righteousness. I I just, I rationalize it away. I say, no, this is, you know, no, but Lord, you're not fooled. Lord, we don't wanna be our own gods. We don't wanna worship the gods of self-righteousness and all our other gods. We don't want to be that. We want you to be the one and only God in our life. So Lord, we pray now that you would convict us of self-righteousness where we need it and that you would give us a gift of repentance. So let's just take a few minutes and let God search our hearts. Let God speak to you and you do business with God. Lord, you said in Habakkuk that we know what the Lord requires of us. To love mercy. To do justice. To walk humbly before our God. Lord, we pray for that in our lives. We pray that you would by seeing how merciful you are to us on the cross, that we will be merciful, full of mercy. And Lord, we will do justice. Yes, Lord. Let us help each other. Let us speak truth to a lost and dying world. Let us, let us take the stand. Let us stand for you, Lord. But Lord, let us walk humbly before our God. Help us, Lord. Father, help us all here as we have prayed to walk these things out. Lord, where where there needs to be a conversation, where we need to ask forgiveness, where we need to confess sin of judgment, where we need to change our habits, Lord. Father, may we walk humbly in response. Lord, make us that city set on a hill. Make us that lamp that's Put up on the where it's visible. Let our light shine, Father, in a way that people look and say, Wow, this is not earthly, this is heavenly. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to sing a song in response to God's word. That's why we do that. That's why we sing after we preach is to sing back to God in a sense. Then after that, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. If you haven't gotten your elements.